it's good to see you tonight. Uh, God bless you for being here. It's a privilege to get to share this ministry with you tonight. And uh, as you can tell uh, from being on the speakers, we're doing something that we've not done in deeper life before, I don't think. Uh, I was asked by uh, one of the pastors if we could record these sessions. So there will be three sessions tonight, uh, next Wednesday night, and the following Wednesday night. And uh, what we're doing, and I'm just going to kind of set this up, and I know there may be a few more people wandering in uh, as we get started, but what we're going to be doing over these three Wednesday nights is looking at the subject of finances, money and finances. In fact, the title of this series is Dollars and Cents. Now, not cents as in C-E-N-T-S, you know, pennies, nickels, dimes, and quarters, but cents as in S-E-N-S-E, -E, uh, like good cents, okay? So that's the title. And then tonight, tonight we're going to be looking at the, the thought, nothing in and nothing out. But the overall purpose of this entire three-part series is to help us understand how that our economy has absolutely no bearing on God's ability to take care of his own people. Uh, and that'd be, a, as John Bevere would say, that'd be a real good place to say amen right there. <laughs> God's, God's ability to take care of his, his people is not in the least affected by what's going on in our economy or the world economy or anything else. Um, God is, he is still in control. So while some of the things that I'm going to be sharing with you, it, 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 you could take them a little bit negatively if you really wanted to, I'm going to encourage you to just take them and say, you know what, I see where he's going with this. God is still in control. And uh, I can tell you that it is a peaceful place to be. It really is. Uh, so, so tonight what we're going to focus on is, is nothing in, nothing out. That's the title of tonight's session, and it will be setting the groundwork. We're going to be lightly touching on several things that we will further develop in the second uh, session and the third session. So I hope that perhaps you will be able, I really hope you'll be able to be with us for all three of them. But, but tonight we're going to focus on the idea of, of changing as believers in Christ, changing our attitude toward our finances. Now, if there is someone in the room tonight that is, has not yet made that step to be a believer in Christ, well, tonight would be a great night, and, and I would just invite you to, to, uh, to consider that. I, I'm guessing that probably most everybody in the room, if not everyone, is a believer in Christ. And if that is the case, then this is really important stuff, not because I'm giving it to you, but because God has a plan for everything. I mean, we're talking about the God of the universe, the God of all gods, the one true God, the one that can make all the planets move in the right speed and time and space and distance and all that. I mean, you know, God is, God's pretty much got his act together, wouldn't you say? And our finances are not an area where he has dropped the ball. Although for a lot of us, a lot of Christians, a lot of believers... Uh, are, are still, you know, we, we fumble and struggle and, and we, we hurt and we, we pant and we race and, and, and it's just like the little hamster in the wheel, you know. It's just, it's just going and going and going and, and we're really not knowing what's going to happen next in our finances. But I want to tell you, 
God has got his act together, and he talks about it in the Word a lot. And so that's where we're going to go. So uh, I think you all know, as I'm setting this up, again, kind of giving you the background for why we're doing this, uh, our nation, well, in, actually our whole world, is in a mess financially. Uh, can we agree on that? I mean, I, you know, our planet's in a mess. Uh, unbelievable deficits. Just, just our national debt. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in a bit. Uh, please don't get scared and run out the back door. It's not all going to be disturbing and depressing, okay? Uh, and nobody really has any real answers as to what to do about it. It's just, you know, everybody's just kind of scratching their head and hoping that they don't have to deal with it and can make it through election time again. You know, you see what I'm saying? Uh, it's time, though, I believe that it's time for us as believers in Christ to take a different view, uh, a biblical view of all things financial. Uh, so that's where we're going with this. Now, I want to give a disclaimer. Uh, I need to do this because I am not Dave Ramsey. I haven't even know who I'm talking about. Probably everybody know who Dave Ramsey is. I've sat in his conferences, and it was a blessing to me. I am also not a, uh, a trained financial advisor. That's not, uh, that's not me. I can't tell you anything about what to do in the stock market tomorrow or anything like that. That's not my calling. My calling is pastor-teacher. That's what God called me to do. So what I'm going to do is approach this subject from the pastor-teacher point of view, and I'm going to go dig it in the Word of God, okay? That's how I'm going to do this. I, I just, I'm just somebody who wants to help you to see what God's Word says about our finances. And, and as we develop this tonight and build this foundation that we're going to stand on for these three sessions, I think you'll really begin to see why this is so important. But before we get started in this, I, uh, I want to ask you to help me with something. I always like to do this. Uh, as I start these sessions. How many of you have your Bible with you? Now, if you don't, you're not going to get dinged or demerits or anything like that, but if you have it, would you hold it up? Hold it up so I can see it, and I want you to join me in saying these words. I Just repeat them after me. This is my Bible. It is God's Word. It is alive. It is truth. I believe it, and I receive it. Father God, thank you so much for these wonderful folks who are here tonight. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who comes to teach us, who comes to stand beside us and help us gain the understanding and revelation of your word. Thank you, Lord, for the anointing to teach tonight and for the anointing to hear and receive on every heart. And we just praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So let's get started tonight on this thought, nothing in, nothing out. Uh, Dollars and cents. Dollars and cents. Now, how many of you know who Steve Jobs was? Everybody knows Steve Jobs, you know, Apple computer. How many of you got an iPhone? <laughs> a lot of you do, iPhones and iPads and all that stuff. I was reading uh, some stuff about him a couple of days ago. I think he passed away in 2010, I think it was, late 2010. I think that's right. And uh, he was a tremendously wealthy man. I mean, you know, started out real humble beginnings, you know. Uh, you, you've probably read or heard the story. Uh, just kind of, a, you know, scratching along just in college, you know, and figuring out some neat ideas. And, and then uh, everybody knows, if you say Apple now, nobody thinks about that fruit that hangs on a tree. They think about phones and tablets and all that kind of stuff when you say the word Apple. Uh, immensely successful. 
can, can somebody tell me, I just, just shouted out, even though we're on recording tonight, that's okay. I just want to see if anybody here knows approximately how much Steve Jobs left behind when he died. You're right, he left all of it. Every single penny he left it behind when he died. I'm going to use a number of scriptures tonight, and I'm going to encourage you to jot these down. And here's why. I, I'm one of these teachers, Maurice, that I believe that we ought to check the people that are ministering to us. I really do. I feel that way. Write scripture references down and then do your own study on them. Don't ever just take what somebody throws out there and say, oh, praise God, I'm just going to run with that. Uh, because you're chewing on what they've chewed on. And it may be great stuff, but you might need to chew on it a little further. So as I, I go through these scriptures tonight in this teaching, just jot those references down and, and do a little word study on them. Because what you're going to find is they will tend to branch out. And as, as you word study through those, you're going to be jumping into other scriptures that I won't even touch on tonight. I, I can't use all the stuff that I touched on in the Word of God tonight. We don't have that much time. But I encourage you to jot these references down, make a few notes, and then just do some studying on your own. I want to start tonight with a familiar verse that you've probably heard a number of times. And I may just pull up a chair here and just sit down. How about we just be a little bit comfortable tonight? How's that? That'd be okay? Be a little bit conversational? I'm not going to scream and rant and shout at anybody. How's that? In Job chapter 1, Job chapter 1. This is the introduction of the story of Job's life, how things were going in his life. You know, Job got caught up in a uh, celestial conflict that he didn't have any idea what was going on. Uh, God didn't send him an email on his iPhone and tell him, you know, the devil's been all up here in my face bad-mouthing you, so I'm just going to prove to the devil that he's a nut. Job didn't know what was going on. And, uh, you know, he was an extraordinarily wealthy man. He was a godly man. But he was extremely wealthy, and uh, in, in his day standards, he would have been like bigger than Donald Trump, probably. I mean, he was, he was the top dog in his part of the world. And then all of this calamity befell him, and things really, really, really went horribly wrong. And uh, Job, in, in the first chapter of that book, in the 21st verse, and I'm reading from the Amplified, he said this, and he said, Naked or without possessions came I into this world, from my mother's womb, and naked without possessions shall I depart. Now, when, when faced with all the loss that he suffered and all the things that, and he, at that point he had no idea that God was going to restore it seven times over. That was at the, you see, we can read this story and we say, whoo, you know, this is great, but Job didn't know that was coming, okay? At the very beginning, he very matter-of-factly pragmatically said, well, I didn't have anything when I got here, and I'm not going to have anything when I leave, so blessed be the name of the Lord. <laughs> that was his attitude. It's a good attitude to have, by the way. Look ahead into the New Testament, and you can look these up if you like, or just jot them down and, and research them on your own. 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Now, this is the Apostle Paul talking to a young pastor, uh, Pastor Timothy, a younger man that Paul had mentored who was serving faithfully in the work of the kingdom. And Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7, again from the Amplified, he just remarked to him, For we brought nothing into the world, and obviously we cannot take anything out of the world. So there it is. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. It's bookended. It's confirmed. 
you know, it, it's pretty well certain that when we leave this planet, we're not going to be taking anything with us. Uh, I heard Ron Cox say this in a message one time. He said, I've never seen a hearse pull in a U-Haul trailer. And every time I think about that, I laugh. And if you, if you really think about that, it's true. Ha- have you ever seen a hearse that has a luggage rack on top? <laughs> no, they don't put luggage racks or trailer hitches on a hearse because the guy that's riding in there is not taking anything with him. Uh, not going to happen. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Now, why did I introduce these verses about Job and Timothy and, and, and all of that? Well, I, I think what we're trying to do is reprogram our way of thinking about the finances that God has entrusted into our hands. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, again from the Amplified, says this. It says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now let's break that down for a second. We're still kind of setting it up. We're setting it up and getting ready to dive off the diving board. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, when it says the word heart, it's not talking about this thumpity-thump thing in the middle of your chest. That's not what it's talking about. Uh, Think about the heart of a watermelon, you know, where the good stuff is. (laughs) When you cut that watermelon, everybody wants to get right into the heart, you know. Uh, That's the center of it, where where the really, really, really good stuff is. Uh, Think about a a big log, a big tree that's been cut down. And, and that's a really good analogy right there because when you look in the center of that stump or the center of that log, you can see the heart of that tree where those growth rings are real close together. And if it's a healthy tree, if it's a healthy uh, log, you know, and, and it didn't have rotted out or anything, you'll notice that that wood is very dense and very strong. That kind of serves as a, the spine or the backbone of that tree, if you will. So what we're talking about, the heart, that's the center of our being. That's the, the deepest part of us, okay? So where our treasure is, there is where the center of our being, the deepest part of us, our, our, our utmost attention is going to be. Now, what is our treasure? Well, a treasure is anything. It's not just finances. It can be anything. It can be your looks. You know, Mark, it, you, that might be your treasure, son, your looks. You know, reckon? Could be your treasure. Uh, I'm just picking at you, buddy, because you can handle it. Um, can't you? <laughs> I love you, brother. Um, it could be your finances. It could be your reputation. It could be, you know, all kinds of things. I mean, a lot of things. But generally speaking, we think about it in terms of finance. But treasure is whatever is most important to us. Let's just say, so what this is saying is what, wherever our treasure, what's most important to us is, then that's where the center of our attention, that's where our heart's going to be, that's where the core of all of our efforts and focus is going to be. So now we've established that, that it, it might be important. It might be important where our treasury is. It might be something we ought to think about. Now, I'm just going to, over the course of this evening, I'm going to give you some facts and, and thoughts and things to chew on that will, will let you know that, uh, and I'll tell you a little bit about my personal story in a minute, uh, that, that this world is not really a good place to have your treasure stored, to be honest with you. I mean, from, from a purely practical standpoint, n- notwithstanding what the Word says, this world is not a really good investment, okay? I, I think we can probably agree with that. I'm not trying to be negative or anything. I'm just saying, you know. So let, let, me, let me just do a little sidebar here. Beverly and I, my wife Beverly, 
and I, uh, we have been in some type of ministry or another for over 35 years now. We were both in ministries, different ministries, before we were married. We've been married 35 years this year, and uh, so we've been, at, we've been in ministry for a long, long time. For about the last 15 years or so, we've been involved e either, uh, either as participants, co-teachers, or teachers in marriage seminars and, and things like that. So we've spent a lot of time counseling and praying and teaching in the, the, the realm of marriage and family. And I'm going to tell you that aside from infidelity, finance is one of the biggest stresses in marriage and family. Did you know that? And I'm not just talking about the secular world. I'm talking about Christian and non-Christian alike. Finance is a huge problem, a, a problem causer, a source of stress in the family. And personally, I'm just going to be honest with you, I think that there is a diabolical strategy behind that. I really do. I really do. Let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, God invented marriage and family before he even invented the church. It's really important to him. Marriage and family is important to God. And the devil hates it. So the devil's going to use any tool he can to try to weaken and tear down marriage and family. And one of his best, you know, if you can imagine somebody throwing a brick through your front room window, one of the devil's biggest bricks is that big old brick that has a dollar sign on it. That at the wrong time, it slams through your living room window, creates chaos and fear and all that stuff, and lands in the middle of your marriage, and there it is. It's just a big old dead weight, and it hurts everybody, right? You know what I'm talking about. Uh, so I think I've made the point. So what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to ask three primary questions. They're going to be rhetorical questions, but I'm going to ask them and use them as a springboard that we will jump off of and, and, and go through that section. And then when we get to the end of this tonight, uh, I'll be happy to open up for some comments, and Beverly and I will be glad to stay for a few minutes if we can pray with you or anything like that or just, just, just encourage you. We'll be happy to do that. But let's, do, let's, let's look at question number one. Uh, question number one is this. And, and I'm asking this rhetorically, so don't, please don't start shouting just yet because the mic won't pick you up. I, I do want to hear some of what you have to say in a little bit, though. Question number one, why is it so hard for us to invite God into the managing of our finances? Why is it so hard for us to ask God to help us with our finances? Now, think about this for a minute. Just, just let this soak a minute. Most other areas of our life, we have no problem asking God for his help. If we are sick, what do we do? We ask somebody to pray for us. If we get a bad report from the doctor, you know, or something like that, we call up some friends and we say, I need you to pray. We get a hold of people that we know walk in faith, and we say, I need you to agree with me because I'm facing this thing. Well, you know, maybe a child is, is uh, going the wrong way, making bad choices. What do we do? We get some friends to pray with us and, and agree with us in prayer for that child. Uh, we, we, we turn to God for a lot of things, relationships. Uh, right now, I'm praying with a friend who is uh, uh, very much in need of intervention in his marriage. And God is working in that thing. But, uh, you know, we turn to God for all sorts of things. But it's, it's almost like when it comes to our finances... It's almost like we run from God. 
Now just let that sit there and soak for a second. It's almost like we run away from God when it comes to our finances. And I'm going to say a little bit more about that in a minute as to why I think we do that. Let me tell you, share a little bit of my personal story here, and I'm going to make it really, really short for the sake of time. Uh, you're, you're looking at a guy with several college degrees and uh, quite a track record in businesses and stuff like that. You're also looking at a guy that in the 2008 tumble of the economy took a hit for roughly 100 grand. It, all told, between lost value and property and, and the 401k that became a 101b or whatever they gave me, you know what I'm saying, the IRA that became an IR not, you know. <laughs> I had it in the hands of supposedly capable people. They were supposed to know what they were doing. I think they were investing in, in, in certain automotive groups and perhaps Lehman Brothers or something. I don't know what they were doing with it. They were supposed to be good at it, you know, and it just evaporated. And, but let me rewind back to the early days, and I'm going to fast forward really, really fast through this just so you kind of get a picture of where I'm coming from in, in this tonight. Um, I knew when I was about 16 that God had put a call of ministry on my life, and so that's always been a, a part of my focus for, for practically my whole life. So, um, but when I was in my early teens, just barely turned teenager, uh, my dad... Uh, put me to work in the summers in the family business. And uh, I, I, I got to working with him. I was a gopher, you know. I just, I go for this and go for that and go for that over there and, you know, and run errands and stuff and, and, and all that kind of stuff. But, but by about the second or third summer of doing that, uh, I was, I had, had learned really quickly and I got really good. Now, I'm not blowing my own horn, but I'm just saying I got really good at it. I could roll out a set of blueprints I could look at it, I could lay the project out, make it fit, make it work, because my dad was a builder developer, and uh, I mean, I got good at it. By the time I was 19, I had built, uh, I, I, let me back up, by the time I was 19, I owned 30% of my dad's company. I was making, in today's dollars, by the time I was 20, I was making something, if we calculated in today's dollars, it would be a very high five-figure or possibly even in the edge of the six-figure range. And I'm 20 years old, okay? Uh, by the time I was 20, I had built my first personal home on a 30-acre tract of land, uh, you know, and I wasn't even married. I wasn't even dating, really. And uh, then when I was uh, late, 20, late 20 or maybe just about to turn 21, I met Beverly, and, and uh, well, the rest on that is history, and that's been 35 years ago, and she's still here, thank God, <laughs> praise the Lord, <laughs> it's been a great thing for me, anyway, and I hope it has for her, but uh, uh, about a year after we got married, the Lord was really dealing with us, we were ministering a lot on the weekends, and I was still working with my dad uh, in the company, and the Lord really laid on our hearts that we needed to put more effort and attention into the ministry. And so we sold the house and the, the property that it was on, sold all that, and we moved and started serving in this little bitty church and assisting this pastor. And uh, with that move uh, came some financial changes. <laughs> now, I've been in church all my life. I was raised in church. I always paid my tithe, okay? That's important. I always paid my tithe. I always did what the, you know, I played by the book, played, did, did what the rule said I should do. 
But as we begin to launch out and, and try to be obedient to the Lord, all of a sudden we find ourselves in some, you know, some really, really financial straits. We didn't really understand that. And I didn't know what was going on. Now, at age 19, I'd been driving down the road one day, and I passed a car lot, and I saw a car, and I thought, oh, man, I like that. I turned around and went back up there. Tess drove the car, wrote the guy a check for it. Well, that was no big deal. I had it in the bank. Just here, write the check, give me the papers, and, and away we go. Well, it wasn't too many years after that that we were like, really? You said, oh, my God, what are we going to do? You know, that financial stress was entering into the marriage, and it was getting tough, I'm telling you. And, and God had to help us reassess. He started a long process. Because, you see, uh, even though I was a Christian, even though I was going to church faithfully, paying my tithe and ministering, I was in ministry uh, wherever I could minister on the weekends especially, I was a very, very, very self-sufficient person. When it came to my finances, I had it under control, I thought, until I didn't. <laughs> and I didn't know what to do. One, and I'm going to fast forward a number of years. One, one uh, summer, Beverly and I drove from North Arkansas all the way to Portland, Oregon, to uh, general council meetings. We represented our church there. And uh, the final night of the meeting, Dr. Paul Cho from the largest church in the world in Seoul, South Korea, was the keynote speaker. And I can't even tell you his text that night, but I do know that when he got to preaching the word, the Holy Spirit got a hold of me. I mean, he got a hold of me about my whole attitude about who's in control of everything, okay? And, uh, and we got back to our hotel room, and I spent an entire night. We, we were supposed to check out and leave the next morning and start back toward Arkansas. I spent that entire night kneeling in front of one of those nasty hotel room chairs, uh, weeping, just, just bawling my eyes out, Reg. I mean, I was broken. God was rewiring. He was redoing some things in me. I'd like to say that it all happened right there, but it didn't. You know? But, he, but he, was, he was putting some seeds in me that he was going to cultivate and bring to fruit. Uh, in the years to come. Things went on, you know, uh, we, we continued in civilian ministry for a little while after that, and then I had this wonderful opportunity to uh, become an Air Force chaplain, and I was assigned permanently to the Civil Air Patrol, and I got to work with all these neat young people, and I worked with the, uh, the, the uh, uh, full-time regular Air Force officers as well. It was a wonderful, wonderful time of ministry. I loved it. So when, when I finally took the uniform off, we said, well, we're not going to go back to pastoring. We're just going to find a church and, and uh, be a faithful member and just do whatever they need done and be a blessing. But I had to get a job. Okay, so I did that to pay the bills. And that's what brought me to this area, to the Birmingham area. And that's how we found Kingwood. So uh, uh, to, to fast forward a good bit more, I remember the day uh, back in late 2007, the, the, the economy was already beginning to, to uh, you know, teeter-totter a little bit. And I got a phone call, and they called me into the office, and uh, I, I was making good money, and they called me into the office, and they said, we're sorry, dude, but we can't afford you anymore. We're going to, we're going to cut you loose. And they gave me a little severance package, and I, I'm going to go back to this in a, a couple of weeks, so you, you'll, you'll want to hear that. It's an amazing story what God did with that. And so I found myself unemployed. Well, Beverly was working, so, you know, I'm putting in resumes and doing all this stuff and trying to cover all the bases, and, and, and her income was uh, primarily covering everything at the moment. And then came uh, uh, tragedy and, and sorrow, and, and then her income was gone. And the seeds that God had planted in us in Portland, Oregon, in that meeting, were now beginning to grow and, and show fruit. And 
we, we were sitting in a beautiful neighborhood with a wonderful house, you know, our, our nice cars, we had mortgage payment, we had a whole bunch of credit card debt, we had a car payment, we got all these things, you know, uh, we were living the American dream, right? We were living the dream, living the dream, which when you closed your eyes at night on certain days of the month was more like a nightmare. Hello. It sounded like Dave Ramsey there, didn't you? You didn't even have to pay to get in to hear this tonight. And, and so there we were with no income. I mean, there it was. And I, I still remember that. I got on my knees and I said to God, I said, Lord, the house doesn't matter. The car doesn't matter. Nothing we own matters. What matters is you. You're in charge. I give up. <laughs> I can't handle this. And I'm going to talk some more next week about what happened. I can promise you that God is a better manager of finances than I will ever be or you will ever be, okay? And, and, and so I just want to encourage you tonight not to be afraid to let God be your financial manager, okay? So here's question number two. Question number two. Now this one raises eyebrows in certain circles because people have certain reactions and predisposed ideas about this, but I'm going to ask it anyway because I like to stir up things anyway. Those of you that know me know that's true, but I'm not doing it to cause a problem. I just want you to think, okay? I want you to think. Here's the question. Does God want his children to be blessed or should we dare say even prosperous? Does God want his children to be blessed or even prosperous? Well, there's been a lot of teaching over the years, you know, that have been misconstrued. And people, you know, got off into that name it and claim it attitude, you know, where, well, bless God, I'm just going to say Cadillac 5,000 times a day and the power of my word is going to be sitting in my driveway. And people actually did that kind of stuff. And, and then they said, well, I'm going to say Cadillac and Mercedes being both. I'm going to have both of them. You know, one for Tuesday, one for Thursday, one for, you know, I, I mean, I, and pe people went crazy with that idea. And a lot of people just said, well, that's a bunch of junk right there. And, and so now there are still people that say, man, when you talk about Christians being prosperous, you're, you're getting over into the edge of heresy. Well, I beg to differ with you. Now, there were a lot of false, erroneous teachings back in the day. Coming out of the 70s into the mid and late 80s, there was a lot of nonsense that was taught. But if we look into the Scripture, we read the Word of God I don't think we find anything in there that's, that where God, it, you know, was trying to say, well, if you're going to follow me, you're going to be a poor man and wearing rags and, 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 and tore up flip-flops until you get to heaven. I don't find that in there. You know, we've heard all kinds of things. We've heard all these spiritual sayings. I always have fun with this part. We've heard all those spiritual-sounding quotes like, many are the afflictions of the righteous. You know, an affliction can be anything. It, it can be, it's not just sickness. Although financial stress will cause sickness, are you aware that there's a whole list, as long as my arm, of heart failures and problems that come from stress? Did you know that? Your cholesterol can be affected by stress. And what did I say is that one of the biggest stressors in the family? Finances. So afflictions, though, can be all kinds of things. The washing machine can be broke. Well, that's an affliction if your clothes smell bad. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there'll be all kinds of afflictions, things that cause you problems and, and upset and turmoil. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, you know. Well, here's another one. Uh, the son, oh, we say this one with such somber and reverential tones. The son of man hath nowhere to lay his head. How many of you have heard that? You've heard that, haven't you? A bunch of you have heard that. You know, Jesus didn't even have a home to go to. Well, there's others. 
uh, when Jesus was born, there was no room for them in the inn. Hmm. And, and you remember the story Jesus tells the story, or it's told in the Gospels of Jesus observing the little widow woman who was so poor, and she came and put her offering in, and she put in two little copper coins that called two mites, you know, two little tiny coins. And, and Jesus made a big deal out of it because that's all she had, you know. Well, let me tell you the rest of the story on that. You know, we read things like that, and we think, oh, wow, look at that. She was poor. She was broke. She didn't have anything. And Jesus got excited. So therefore, if I don't have anything, maybe Jesus will get excited about me. Now, that's kind of a weird logic, but subconsciously we start thinking things like that. Right? We do. The, the object of Jesus' interest was not how much she put in. She could put in two pennies, two dollars, two hundred, two thousand, two million. It wouldn't have mattered. The thing that caught Jesus' attention was the condition of her heart. Her treasure was in the right spot. She knew that that's all she had, but she wasn't worried about it. She thought, my God's going to take care of me, so I, I don't have to worry about tomorrow. I'm just going to put it in there and worship Jesus with it, or worship God with it. She didn't know about Jesus yet. I'm just going to worship God with it. I'm going to be faithful. God's going to take care of me. And I, I, we don't know anymore about that little widow woman, but I, I would almost guarantee you, I think I can totally guarantee you, God took care of her. Let's look at some of these others. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. We'll read the rest of the verse. What does it say? but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Doesn't mean we won't go through some times of trouble and testing and stress and all this kind of stuff, but we're not supposed to camp out there, but we, we zero in, we take our little binoculars and we zoom in on affliction and righteousness. Affliction, righteous. So that must mean the more affliction I have, the more righteous I am. Bring on the stress, Lord, bring on the stress. That's ridiculous. That's not what that verse says. Read the whole thing. Uh, Jesus didn't do without a home because he was too broke to buy one. Now, that may, that, that may blow your hat off in the creek or turn your umbrella wrong side out. Jesus didn't buy a home because he was on a mission, and he knew he had a limited time to be on this planet to get it done, so he didn't have a need for a home. I mean, why would he buy a home if he wasn't going to be there, Right? He's going to have to pay somebody to cut the yard, going to utilities, taxes, homeowner association fees, all that kind of stuff, you know. What was the purpose? Why, why would he do that? He was not going to be there. So he just, you know, but we mistakenly think that Jesus went all over the, the countryside of Judea sleeping under a tree in a pouring rain. I don't think so. I, I, don't, I don't see it that way. And, and we even look at, at Joseph you know, Joseph and Mary, as they're headed down to, to uh, Bethlehem the, the night Jesus was born. And we, we just, boy, we, we romanticize that around Christmas. And we just turn that into such a tale. And it just warms our little hearts. And then we get our expensive presents from our other people, and we just forget all about it. But uh, let's go back and look at that story a little bit. A, a lot of, you know, Joseph was a carpenter. Well, in our, in our way of thinking, that means Joseph drove a beat-up old pickup truck with a ladder in the back and a hammer and a paintbrush. And he'd go rehang somebody's fallen shutters and fix a shingle or two, you know. No, that's not who Joseph was. That's not who he was. You need to know something about the Middle East and about that area. Usable timber and lumber it was, was then and is now a precious commodity. So we could equate Joseph in his 
his business, he was a, probably an upper middle class business owner, okay? That's, that's how you need to view Joseph, the, the, the stepfather, if you will, of Jesus, the, the earthly father of Jesus. Uh, he w- we would equate him to like, you know how we look at jewelers or jewelry store owners and, and people like that? You know, who deal in gold and silver and precious jewels and stuff like that? Uh, Joseph was a successful person. Uh, he had money. He, he, he wasn't hurting for change. Uh, they were going down to Nazareth. I mean, look at the ride. Full leather upholstery, sunroof. You know, the whole... Some of you are chuckling. They'll get you in a minute. Let, let me tell you what I think happened. This is just me, okay? But this is what I think happened. Joseph, you've you got to understand, Jesus was born that night, so Mary was already in labor. I got a feeling that Joseph took the cruise control off, scooted over to the slow lane, and probably stopped in every single rest stop along the way because Mary was in labor. She was, she was probably hurting. So they get there late. You know, everybody passes them, and they get there late. And uh, he goes up to the Marriott, and he says, I got a reservation. They say, we're sorry, sir. You passed the 6 p.m. deadline. We released your room. So he goes around, you know, down the street to the, to the Hampton. Well, they don't have any vacancies. The, the Holiday Inn next door, they don't have anything. He tried the Super 8. They didn't have anything. When he turned the corner to the, to the Motel 6, Tom Bodette done turned the light off because they didn't have no rooms. And Mary is having this baby like right now. So he did the next best thing. He found the nearest parking garage and backed in so they wouldn't get wet if it rained during the night. I mean, come on. Think it through. The Bible doesn't tell us anything that, that we should construe that Joseph was dirt poor. I don't see that at all. In fact, after those uh, wise men from the east came and visited him, he probably had a real good 401k. I bet Jesus wore Nike Airs when he was growing up. I mean, you know, those were treasures that were brought to them. So we need to kind of rethink, you know, uh, how we're, we're looking at this. I think Satan, in his quest to... to discourage and press down the children of God has just kind of laughed and let these little fairy tales keep going because he wants us to be discouraged and feel like that the broker we are, the closer we are to God. Well, you know, hopefully I've kind of dealt with that a little bit. Um, let, let, me, let me read on it. You probably heard somebody say money is the root of all evil, right? You've heard that, haven't you? That's in the Bible, isn't it? <laughs> the love of money, yeah. But you'd be amazed at how many people misquote that with all religious and somber tones. And people just listen to that and say, oh, well, I don't need no money because it's the root of all evil. You know, don't want that. Uh, or what about this saying? I've heard this many times. God said he'd take care of all my needs, but he didn't say anything about my wants. Boy, that sounds spiritual, don't it? That really sounds spiritual. Well, I just don't know about that. Those people are reading a different Bible than I'm reading. Because I'm going to read you some scripture here in just a second that, that, that seemed to say something different than that. But i got to tell you a little funny. How many of you know who Jesse Duplantis is? You've heard of Jesse Duplantis. Uh, he's a hoot. Uh, when the bills come in, I heard him say this one time, when the bills come in, he just holds them up to the sky like this and says, God, you got mail. <laughs> I think that's neat. I've done that. <laughs> I have done that myself. And I think it's neat because my attitude has changed about finances. I know who's in charge. I know who's taking care of things. It doesn't matter if I can see it today or not. I wish I had time to tell you all the miracles I've seen God do in this realm. It's just awesome. But let's, let's, let's throw in a couple more scriptures out here. Philippians chapter 4, and I bet some of you know what verse I'm going to read. Philippians chapter 4, 
This is my cornerstone scripture. This is one of my favorite scriptures. I, I quote this verse. I quote this word. I speak this word over every time I open my checkbook up to pay the bills or whatever, or if I do anything financial with our finances, anything I do with our finances, I quote the almost, and I, I'm not lying to you, almost every single time I quote this word, Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, it says, My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in glory. Now, when you start measuring what God has in the way of resources, financially and otherwise, my, my Father God is so rich, he is so well off, he makes Donald Trump look like a poor man living in a box in an alley. Now, it's the truth. God is not, God's not experiencing a recession or a depression or economic woes. God is not running short on anything. God's going to handle it. So that covers my needs. And, and then look at uh, Psalm 37, Psalm 37, verse number 4. It says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's a scary verse for some people. They say, well, I just, I, 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 I can't, I, I just can't, I can't get a hold of that. I, 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 what if I want something wrong? Well, if you're delighting yourself in the Lord and your, your focus is on Jesus and you're trusting him as your financial manager, you're, not, you're probably not going to be wanting something wrong. Now, I used to have, you know, I used to be kind of crazy, you know, well, still am a little bit, but uh, not as much as I used to be. But God has helped me so much. And, and the more I have leaned into him, the more I can see how he can handle things so much better than I can. So, so we've covered needs and wants, right? So I, I'm just going to throw this out. You ready to catch a hand grenade? Let me just throw a hand grenade to you here tonight. We need to stop acting like God is some stingy, miserly, mean old man. <laughs> well, thank you, sister. I got an amen right there. Amen. Question three, as we get ready to wrap this up tonight. Why do we assume that the world's way of doing finance is the best way? Why do we just assume that the world's way of doing it is the best way to do it? I mean, the world's concept of government and finance, and, and, and by the way, they are inextricably tied together. The world's way of doing finance goes all the way back. And this I can't even get into tonight. You ought to do a word study on this. This goes all the way back to the days of Babel. Read in your Bible and see how many big cities you heard about before Babel. Now, this was after Noah's flood. God told him the same thing he said to Adam. He said, go out, replenish, multiply, replenish, take authority over this planet. Well, uh, some of Noah's descendants got over in this beautiful, fertile plain along the river, and they decided, you know what? We're tired of trekking around. We're going we're gonna to huddle up right here, and we're going to build ourselves a big city. And from there on throughout the Bible, you, you find more and more and more and more and more references to large cities and gatherings where people clustered together. They became almost little kingdoms with a king and a ruler over each city. They were like little city-states, okay? But here's what they did. They began to focus not on what God had set mankind on the earth to do, but they began to focus on their own welfare, now, you need to chew on that a little bit. We can't even really unwrap that tonight. We don't have time. But I challenge you to do a word study on it. They, they begin to say things like, we will build this tower. We will ascend to the heavens. We will rule. We, 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 we. And no, I'm not speaking French. 
It was all about the we and the me. It got to the point where God said, I'm going to have to do something about this. I'm going to do something about this. That's why it's called Babel, because he confused their language. Now, the world's concept, it, it, the, the economy of the world, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out here on the edge of the cliff and just stay with me now. Don't get offended at me. But the world system is driven by the concept of debt. Okay? It is. We're taught from the time before we ever have much more than two quarters in our pocket that, that debt is necessary and that it's even good. Now, please, just relax. <laughs> I'm not criticizing anybody who has a house payment or a car payment or anything like that, okay? I, I'm not. Please understand, I'm not. Hey, I'm, I'm right here with you. I'm still paying on my house. I'm still paying on my house. But I am going to preview. I'm going to preview a little bit what's coming up next week and the following week. Uh, no, no more credit card debts. N n none. And uh, our cars are paid for. And I don't, I honestly, some days I scratch my head and try to figure out how God did it. How God did it. And, and I'm going to sidebar again just for a second because I've got to illustrate this. Once I begin to, to realize that, that the world's way of doing it with me in control was not going to work, and I got on my knees and I told you about it, I, I told God, I said, I said, God, none of it matters. You're in control. You're it. Things begin to change. We always paid our tithes. We, we began attending this church faithfully. We paid our tithes. We were faithful in that. And yet it seemed like every time the automatic, you know, direct deposit hit, it wasn't a day to celebrate. It was a relief that it was there, but it wasn't really a celebration because it was already spent, you know, before I even got it, you know. It was already accounted for, already spent. And I can't tell you how many times I sit back here in this audience where some of you are sitting tonight, a missionary would be here, and my heart would be breaking because I, I felt such a pull in my spirit. I wanted to do something, and I didn't have it, Reg. I just didn't have it. And I, I made a vow to myself. I said, God, if you help me, one of these days I'm going to have it in my pocket no matter what. And I made the vow that with the grace of God, this bad boy right here, ben, Mr. Benjamin Franklin, would ride in my wallet at all times because I wanted to be ready at any moment. I can't tell you how many times this guy's been replaced, and it's the funnest life I have ever lived. So now you know I got a $100 bill in my pocket. Don't you try to jump me in the parking lot because one of my angels will thump you on the head, and you won't like that. You won't like that. But that thing has been changed out many, many times since I started asking God to be my manager. Because not only did he work miraculously in ways I couldn't understand how he did it, but he overflowed us. And the stress is not on me anymore because I, I, we made a vow. Beverly and I, in agreement, made a vow. Lord, no more debt. We're not adding any more debt. We're going to pay off what we got. And we're still working on that. We're going to keep that vow. We don't want, because, well, just listen to what the word says. You see, we're in a country of debt. I looked it up this afternoon. Do you know what our national debt is? 16.787 trillion. That's almost 17 trillion. That's a 17 with 12 zeros behind it. I read something earlier this week that just scared me. I mean, it, well, it doesn't really scare me. It shocked me. This analyst said that if every, I'm assuming most everybody in this room pays taxes. If every taxpayer in America was taxed at 100% of their income for one full year, 
it would only pay a tiny, tiny little part of a percentage of the national debt. It wouldn't even make a difference. It wouldn't matter. That's a lot of debt. We've gotten so accustomed to that concept of debt that we just think that's, you know, that's the way it is. You know, that's the way it ought to be. Well, listen to what the Word says in Proverbs 22, verse 7. This is challenging, but I want to challenge you because I want to inform you that God has a better plan for you. If, if you're strapped right now, you're, you're going to be able to identify with this. Uh, Proverbs 22, 7 in the Amplified says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant and some versions of the Bible, of Scripture translation say slave to the lender. I remember being a slave. I, you know, I wanted to give. I wanted to, we, we couldn't take vacations. We couldn't help our kids when they needed it. We couldn't do anything because every penny we had was allocated. Somebody else already had their hand on it. Before. I mean, I just saw it go through. It didn't even slow down. I would grab enough of it to write a check to pay my tithes. But that's all there was. And then we lose, both of us lose our incomes. <laughs> and boy, that'll shake your world up. But God is faithful. God is faithful. Let me tell you, God is faithful. Let me read another scripture for you in just a moment. But let me say this first. Here's another hand grenade for you as we wrap this up. Well, let me ask you this question first. What if we could begin to accept that God loves us and cares about us so much, so much, that he wants to be our source for everything. You say, wow, that's just like way out there in the cloud somewhere. That's not even possible. Let me tell you, it is. It is. It really is. What if we could just get to that point and say, God, I trust you. I know you're my source for everything. I trust you. I trust your judgment. I remember the early days. I'm going to have to digress for a second. I remember the early days as, as we had both lost our income. I remember waking up in the mornings, and it was almost I could all but see that little demon of fear sitting there by my nightstand, just giggling and laughing at me. He said, you don't have a job to go to today. Ha, 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 ha. You don't have any money. Ha, 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 ha. But God was working in my heart. God was working in my life. I was becoming a man of faith. Okay, I don't, don't want anybody to get scared about that phrase, but, I, you know, honey, that's who I am, and I'm not backing up. And, and I got to where, you know, the first few times it just hit me with depression and fear. Well, fear has bondage. That doesn't come from God. And, boy, the Word, I got in the Word, and I found out that that wasn't God making fun of me because I didn't have a job. And so every time I'd open my eyes, that little demon would be sitting over there snickering at me. I'd say, get out of here. My God will supply all my needs according to His riches. Get out of here. You know, like an old dog that's going somewhere where it's not supposed to be. Get out of here. And he would scamper off. And I had to fight that little rascal over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And then some more besides that. But the Word of God was growing strong inside me every time I would stand on the Word. The, the word. Within one year, i got to go ahead and tell this. I've I, I, I got to tell this tonight. I was going to tell it next week. But I'll tell it again next week. Within one year, within 12 months of both of us losing our income, you are not going to believe this. Our car was paid for, and the credit card debt was gone. That was God, because I threw it on the floor and said, God, I can't do anything with this mess. I trust you. If you want to take it all, you do whatever you want to do. I'm going to stick with you. I don't care where it goes. I give up. And it was the most blessed release 
and the, 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 the relieving of stress I have ever had in my whole life. It was awesome. And God says, watch this. I, I'm going to tell you next week about some of the miracles he did. So let me throw the hand grenade out here now. I think we have trouble trusting God to manage our finances, partly because we're afraid that he's not going to give us what we want when we want it. Hello. I'd be another, another good place to say amen, but I don't know if anybody's going to do it on that. Hmm? I think a lot of times we have trouble trusting God to manage our finances because we, we're afraid he's not going to let us have what we want when we want it. Well, I, I, I've lived through this. I know what this is like. There have been a lot of times since I started trusting God to manage things that I wanted something, and, uh, you know, but it wasn't the right time, and I made the vow. God, I'm not going in debt for that. And so, uh, lo and behold... Wasn't a whole lot of time go by, maybe, maybe enough that I might even forget about that I wanted it. And the next thing I know, God's blessing me with it. And I can enjoy it because it's a blessing. It's awesome. I'm telling you, it's awesome. Psalm 35, verse 27, and we're going to wrap this up. Psalm 35, verse 27, from the Amplified. Let those who favor my righteous cause and have pleasure in my uprightness shout for joy and be glad and say continually, listen to this next sentence, let the Lord be magnified who takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. I saw some of you quoting that with me. You're familiar with that scripture. Praise God. You're on your way. You're on your way. God has no problem with us being blessed and prosperous. He would like for us to stop assuming that the world knows best. I'd like to put it this way. Father knows best. Th that Father. Father knows best. If we pattern our financial life on what the world is doing, and I'm concluding with this, if we pattern after what the world is doing, we are going to be frustrated and full of fear and full of doubt and not knowing what to do. I, I, believe, that, uh, I believe God wants to pour his blessings out on us, on his children, for two reasons. And I want, you to, I want to leave these two little nuggets with you as, as we close this up tonight. I believe that it's not so that we can just consume all this blessing on our own self, like the guy in the Bible who was so blessed and he consumed it all, built bigger barns, and, you know, stingy old man. You know, not for that reason. I believe God wants to pour it out on us and bless us. For reason number one, so that we are blessed and living free from that bondage and slavery. I think God wants us free. I want to be, uh, Mark, I am moving toward the day when if God tells me, uh, lock the door on your house and go to Zimbabwe, I'm going to say, okay, fine. I'll turn the utilities off or I'll find somebody that needs a place to live while I'm gone. And here we go. Got my passport in hand. We're gone. That's, the, that's where I'm headed, man. That's what I want. And God's going to help me get there. Now, I'm not asking God to send me to Zimbabwe. It might be a great place to go. I don't know. I've never been there. It might be that God sent me to South Alabama to minister to a bunch of folks who have no hope. I don't care what God wants me to do. I just want to be free to do it when he says go. And I can't do that if I'm in bondage. So I believe God wants us to be blessed so we won't be in bondage. So we can get about his kingdom work. And number two, I think he wants to bless us so we can pour that blessing right on through to other people who are in need. I, I, those, those are the two nuggets I'd like for you to take with you tonight. Now, let me just uh, look ahead into the next two sessions. Next week, we're going to talk. Here's a little, uh, a little uh, nod to those of you who are country music fans. The title of next week's session is, Who's Your Daddy? 
You know, somebody say Toby Keith. <laughs> I know you, some of you like country music have heard that song. Some of you probably hate it. Who's your daddy? That's next week. And then the third week, we're going to be talking about unlocking, the key to unlocking God's blessing and provision in your life. So thank you so much for being here tonight. We actually got done without running over. Let me breathe a word of prayer over all of you, and then uh, we'll stay for a few minutes if uh, you need to ask us questions or anything like that. Father God, thank you again for letting us be here tonight in your house. Thank you, Lord, for what your word says about what you want to do in our lives. God, I'm thankful. I'm thankful every day and every night that you are so wise and you're so all-knowing and you are so caring for every one of your children. I pray, God, that this word tonight will find root, that it will grow in a desperate heart that someone will find deliverance and freedom from, from bondage and the release of knowing how much you love them and how much you care for them. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you for being here.